Welcome to episode 48 of the River City Hardball Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gibson, where we talk baseball here in Jacksonville. Today we want to remember the great life and career of Henry Aaron, who passed away at the age of 86 on Friday. And to do that, I wanted to bring on someone that is a baseball historian, someone that has known baseball in Jacksonville for so many years and had the opportunity to meet and interact with Hank Aaron for so many years. Peter Bragan Jr., the former owner of the Jacksonville Suns, joins us on the podcast today. Pedro, how are you? Oh, I'm doing good, Andrew. I'm doing good. Uh, saddened by the loss of uh, uh, probably the best baseball player that I ever saw. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing, you know. It's, it's, he was 86, so he did have a good long life. But, uh, you know, I met uh, – Hank Aaron, for the first time, I had followed him on radio and television some, but uh, I was very fortunate that my uncle Bobby Bragan was the manager of the Milwaukee Braves and when I was like 8, 9, 10, or 10, 11, which was cool, but it was so far away. But then the Milwaukee Braves moved to Atlanta in 66. I was about 15, and uh, – we went over there that spring and summer, oh, 10 times at least. But I know the first time, my dad and I and my mother and my sister, we, we, we go over there and Uncle Bobby puts us right on the front row by the dugout. And he comes out there and is talking to us before the game and uh, has all those players come out and say hi and shake hands with me and Daddy, uh, you know, Rico Cardi. Hey, Rico, come here and say hi to my brother Peter and his boy Peter Jr. <laughs> hey, Joe Torrey, come up here and say hi to Eddie Matthews. Come here, the great Eddie Matthews. He drove, meet him, shake hands. And Hank, Ar- Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron. He didn't like being called Hank. They uh, they mostly called him Henry, To you know. I'm sure sports writers and others did call him Hank or fans, but he preferred Henry. But he came out there very soft-spoken. I guess he was probably around 30 by 66 or 28, 29, you know, right in his prime. But uh, I was very impressed. In that game that we went to, Denny LeMaster beat Koufax in 10 innings. The uh, Eddie Matthews got the day off since it was a tough left-hander on the hill. But after uh, LeMaster got the Dodgers out, nothing, nothing for t- – in the top of the tent he was a do up to bat in the bottom of the tent Koufax was still on the mound he let uh, Uncle Bobby put Matthews up to hit for the pitcher and Eddie Matthews hit one right down the first baseline from where we were sitting we were looking right at it just barely fair and uh, end the game one nothing in 10 innings but but uh, you know after that I, I, I got this one time in the early 70s I'm not sure of the year Uncle Bobby was put into the Alabama State Hall of Fame in Birmingham, and Hank Aaron was put in the same uh, class. So we went up to Birmingham for probably three nights, three or four nights. Well, at that time, I was living in Mobile, so it was a short you know, trip up. But uh, it was real nice because they had kind of a hospitality room where the inductees it was beside uncle bobby and hank Aaron. it was two or three other guys an old uh high school coach from birmingham or a 
another guy that had played in the big leagues. But, uh, you know, we got to hang and, and, and ask him questions. By then, I was probably 23, 4, and he was, oh, up in his 30s. But uh, so it was pretty cool to get to talk to him about hitting and and uh, all that kind of stuff. That was a real nice couple of nights there being real close to uh, to the hammer. And then over the years, he came to uh, Wolfson Park a time or two in, like, I think it was 86. We had a game between uh, the Atlanta Braves and the Montreal Expos before, right during the end of spring training. And it was the Wolfson family kind of helped orchestrate it, get the Braves to come, really. And it was the uh, Sam Wolfson Memorial game. And the uh, might have been 25 years since he had passed on or something like that. He went in the early 60s. But uh, they got Hank Aaron to come to that game, and he actually went out to home plate and said a few words about Sam Wolfson. He had really nice things to say about Sam because Sam was the owner of the Jacksonville Braves in 53. And when the Braves said, we might send you this black kid that's going to be pretty good, uh, Sam Wolfson welcomed him with open arms. You know, He was a uh, wealthy uh, man, a Jewish man of, of liberal persuasion, and he encouraged the uh, integration of the races rather than the segregation. So, uh, and I know I saw, uh, you know, there's a nice piece of video somewhere where uh, uh, Dick Stratton was the old-time sports kind of guy for, uh, I think, Channel 4 back in the 60s, and uh, when the Braves came to Atlanta in 66, it might not have been that summer, but in 67 or 68, Stratton went up there and did a lengthy interview with uh, Hank Aaron about his time in Jacksonville. In fact, I think we had that part of that on a, uh, a video that we did about the history of baseball in Jacksonville, but I'm sure some Body can dig that up. It's worth listening to or looking at. Uh, but in that video about how tough it was in '53 and the fans hollering racial epithets from the stands at him everywhere, and uh, he said a lot of times at home I'd go in the locker room and uh, Mr. Sam would be in there and hug me and say good job, good game and. He said, then when I would be getting dressed, I'd reach down in my dress shoe, and there'd be a $5 bill that Sam Wilson had stuck in there for me. So it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, he, he had a lot of great memories about Sam Wilson, uh, Henry Aaron did. And, of course, he came to the baseball grounds when we built the new ballpark. The Braves wanted to bring their AAA down there. They they sent uh, Aaron and one of the front office guys to kind of talk us into, but they want us to sell them at least 51% of the team. The Braves wanted to control it. And my dad did not want to, you know, give up uh, the ownership. So it never really happened that the Braves AAA came here. But uh, And Aaron understood it, 
you know. The other guy was real pushy, but Eric understood Daddy not wanting to sell, and he was very gracious, always a gentleman. Uh, I mean, I did uh, go to Mobile, Alabama, <coughs> I think about 2005 or six. It's after we had built the baseball ground when they uh, they had built the ballpark in the late 90s in Mobile, but it was just Mobile Ballpark or something. But then around 2005, they, they uh, renamed it and dedicated it as uh, Henry Aaron Stadium and had a big uh, – it just worked out that where the Suns were playing the Mobile Bay Bears that particular weekend or that opening – so I went over there, drove over to Mobile and was there for that and got to spend a little time with him in a, like a suite with about 10 or 15 of us in there. It was it was really nice. Uh, it was really nice, Andrew. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm, I love these stories that you're telling about him. You know, when you said that Sam Wolfson put a $5 bill in his dress shoe, that was big money back then, wasn't it? Well, it sure was. You know, they say that uh, Henry Aaron broke the color line in the South Atlantic League. And he did because he was, uh, you know, they they, uh, had Horace Garner was a guy like a local guy that the Braves signed that was a a little older guy to be on the team, you know, a, a black guy. And then they also had Felix Mantilla, who was uh, Cuban or Puerto Rican or something, but he was very dark complected. So they had those three guys. And uh, is it really, you know, traveling around the Jim Crow South in 1953, the, the bus would leave Jacksonville to go to Savannah to play at two or three games. Well, when they get to the Savannah at the edge of town, the bus would pull over. And they would put Aaron and Mantilla and Garner out of the bus and tell them, go down there, and it would be like a little black bottom neighborhood. And uh, they would go stay in some lady's house, sort of like a semi-boarding house or uh, arrangement. And then the bus would go on downtown, and the rest of the team would check into one of the nicer hotels in Savannah. And those guys had to get to the ballpark on their own. And some of the ballparks around the league, I think like Macon was especially a bad one, or uh, uh, maybe Columbia, they were uh, they had to dress at their boarding house place or somewhere and come to the ballpark and you know, because they wouldn't let them into the locker room. The locker room was for whites only. So it was a uh, not only was it he had to figure out how to hit curveballs and hit that good fastballs and stuff, but he had to deal with all of that. And uh, it's amazing, you know, and and the South didn't change. The next year he went on up to the big leagues. The South was still, uh, you know, very racist, very segregated. It wasn't until the 60s with Martin Luther King and the Kennedys in in Washington that – the South really started changing. And of course, you got to give uh, Lyndon Johnson some credit for passing some civil rights legislation and such too. But it made significant changes in the '60s, and of course, you know, even today, uh, it's still not the way uh, a lot of the uh, black people 
want it to be total equality. I don't, you know, don't know if we're ever going to get to that, but it's better, a lot better than it was during Aaron's time. Peter Bragan Jr. with us on River City Hardball, remembering the great Hank Aaron. Pedro, what made him such a great player? Physically, what what was it about him that made him such a great player? You know, they talk about his great strength in his forearms and his wrists. And, and uh, he, from the time he was 9 or 10 years old up until about 15 or 16, every summer he spent on a farm picking cotton and and doing all the other farm work, picking corn and, and, and you know, everything. And But he had those Popeye-like forearms and massive wrists, and he could snap that bat better than anybody I've ever seen. And uh, I've even seen Willie Mays talk about how amazed he was that Aaron would have it, you know, he might have his foot out front. He might have lunged out at the ball and been fooled on an off-speed. But those hands were still way back there, held back. And then he would snap his wrist and snatch the ball right out of the catcher's mitt, practically, and drive one over his head. That's <laughs> what Willie said. It was, uh, it was amazing. And, you know, when people talk about uh, eye-hand coordination, they say, boy, this guy's got eye, great eye-hand coordination. Well, to me, you know, your hand is going to do – your hands are going to do what your brain tells them to do. What it really is, when they say he has great eye-hand coordination, he has great eyes, great vision. You know, uh, uh, you can see all the uh, pictures and tape and everything, Aaron – you never saw him with a pair of glasses. Maybe late in the last few years in his 80s, like some readers. But uh, same way Ruth or Cobb or any of those guys, Ted Williams, they never had – Ted Williams went in the uh, – flying those jets during the war, and they tested him. They tried to test him. He went past the 2020. He went past the 2015. He went down. He read everything on the chart. Even the little uh, manufacturers writing at the bottom, they never could really grade his eyesight. It was so good. He was more like 10 10 than 20 20. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing about these great hitters is uh, they have great vision. Of course, Andrew, I had pretty good vision myself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, Pedro, it still amazes me to this day that Henry Aaron still leads baseball history in such categories like RBIs and total bases. I mean, to this day, to still hold those records really speaks to his greatness. Well, he had more RBIs than anybody, and it's really not even that close. Yeah. He had such consistent greatness for so many years. You know, 20, I think 23 or 24-year big league career. And he made the all-star team every year except his very first year when he – didn't play the whole year, broke his ankle in uh, in uh, August and missed the last couple of months. And still hit like 280 or something, but he didn't make the all-star team. Nobody knew who he was. And then uh, the next year, he almost won the MVP. And by his third year, he did win the MVP. And and then he just was made the all-star team every year. And then his very last year, he was just hanging on with Milwaukee, helping Bud Selig sell tickets in Milwaukee. He returned to Milwaukee for his last couple of years, and 
that first year up there, he hit quite a few homers and, and played a lot. But the last year, he wasn't playing that much. And, uh, of course, that was when Milwaukee was in the American League and he and uh, he was able to DH. He, he might have been the first Milwaukee Brewer DH when they were in the American League then. But, uh, yeah, he made the All-Star team all that time. And, you know, one thing that's, that's never hardly mentioned – that uh, Aaron had over a bunch of those other guys that uh, I think had a big part in helping him that uh, Ruth didn't have and Mantle didn't have and Williams didn't have or Mays didn't have. Hank Aaron, although he grew up poor, he had a very good family upbringing. You know, they made him go to church on Sunday. He had seven or eight brothers and sisters, but his father taught him a great work ethic to, to you know, you, you got to earn everything you get. And, and the mother and dad get a lot of credit for raising Hank Aaron Wright. That, uh, you know, Ruth, I mean, Ruth was sent to a reform school. And, and uh, Williams, his daddy was gone. And Mantle's daddy fought with him all the time and, and forced, to, you know, turn Mantle into a kind of a nutcase. And, uh, I think Aaron was blessed that he did have that good, strong family upbringing, raised him in the church, and and uh, taught him right and wrong, you know. Yeah, and you can tell that, too. Like, you talked about how gracious he always was and just always had a smile on his face. I, I remember on Friday I was listening to Chipper Jones talk about Hank Aaron, and he said, here's a guy that had every right to – be angry with what he dealt with for so many years, but he never was. He was always the gracious, gentle, basically like a gentle giant type guy. Well, he was, and especially in those early years, the first time or two I met him, you know, he was just a little young kid from the South that never went past a, a sixth grade or something. And he was aware of that, and so he was kind of shy and soft-spoken, I think, to uh, want to hug the background and and very carefully spoken, you know, he didn't want to, uh, uh, expose himself to criticism. So he wouldn't say too much, but he was very careful about the words he chose to say. And, uh, you know, as he got more mature and, and more learned by the time I met and talked to him in the seventies or so it was, uh, you know, he was a much more assured and, and relaxed, uh, talking and, and speaking and such, but uh, those first few times I met him, he was very reticent to even hardly just just say yeah or no, you know, he didn't really want to uh, talk much. But. Pedro, what do you remember about Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record in 1974? Well, it was a Monday. I was at South Alabama uh, playing baseball. But that weekend, I had gone to uh, up to Birmingham to see my folks. And on uh, Monday morning, I was going to head back to Mobile, but I was a little short, Andrew. So I, I rode down to the Chevy dealership, Wood Chevrolet, in downtown Birmingham, where my dad was the general manager, and uh, to you know get a 20 or maybe 40 bucks to get back to school. I mean, back then, gas was cheap enough. Five dollars would have got me. But uh, so I went down there and uh, picked up a twenty from Daddy. And then there was a couple of young salesmen in their 
you know, I was probably 20, and these guys were 28 or 27 or something. And they said, uh, hey, little Peter, that's what they called me, <laughs> little Peter. Daddy was big Peter. They said, little Peter, why don't we ride over to Atlanta tonight? Aaron might break that record. Why don't we ride over there, man? We can go over there. And I said, oh, man, I'm supposed to be back in school tomorrow. And uh, so I got to get back down there. I'm missing classes today, you know, but I I got to be there, too. And they said, oh, come on, man. I said, plus, I don't think we can get any tickets. And they said, oh, man, your daddy can call his brother <laughs> and get us some great seats. And we can take one of these nice brand-new Chevrolets right here off the showroom floor. He'll let us take them. Take one. We'll drive. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. And I said, no, I better go back to school. So I got in my car and drove to Mobile. And uh, But I remember later, Daddy telling me, those two guys, he did call Uncle Bobby and get them two guys two tickets. And they went over there and, uh, happened, you know, got to be there to see uh, see the big home run. I, I got back to Mobile in time to watch it on TV. And, uh, you know, I remember crying. It was a... Tremendous moment to, uh, uh, you know, I, I was a Babe Ruth fan all my life, but I recognized that Hank Aaron had beat his record, and that was all there was to it, you know. I remember at the time everybody was saying, well, if Ruth would have been a hitter from the start, you know, Ruth pitched for five or six years before he ever started uh, playing every day and hitting all the time, so... Oh, man, he would have had a lot more than that. He might have. He might not. But uh, it was clear to me that, that uh, there was a new king of home runs, and it was Henry Aaron. And to this day, I still recognize Aaron as the home run king. Yeah, same here. I, I do the same. And do you ever remember back to, to that year and, and think, man, I probably made the right decision going to school, but then, gosh, I wish I could have been there? Absolutely. I just kicked myself from that night. You know, the last thing I told those guys is I said, man, you know what? He might not hit that home run all week. We could drive over there and watch, you know, he'd see him pop up twice and single. So uh, I need to get on back to school, man. I ain't going to go. But, but of course, he didn't. He got it right on over with and knocked it out there the first at bat that night. And, uh, I'm a, uh, you know, it's one of my big regrets that I didn't take those two guys up on it uh, and go with them and go over there and, you know, Birmingham and Atlanta's three hours, two and a half or something. It's not a bad ride. I think even back then, the interstate was fairly complete, so uh, it wouldn't have been bad at all. It would have been awesome, wonderful, but uh, yeah, it's just something else that you regret. You know, back in the prime of Aaron's career, as you know, steroids weren't a thing. I mean, steroids weren't what they are today, certainly, back then. But for him to be able to hit 755 home runs in his career without any of that stuff is also one of the more amazing things, I think. Well, it really is. I mean, the the, the, the best thing that, that helped Aaron was the Braves leaving Milwaukee and moving to uh, Atlanta, the County Stadium in Milwaukee, it wasn't a, uh, you know, real cavernous or huge, but it wasn't really a uh, home run hitter's park. Or, you know, it wasn't, it was just kind of in the middle. Uh, and he hit a lot of them up there. 
But uh, when he got to Atlanta, the ball just carried great at that original Fulton County Stadium. When you got a ball up there, it just seemed to carry better than than a lot of other ballparks. And that undoubtedly helped him, uh, you know, in a similar way to the steroid guys, but, but, you know, it was not anything of his doing. You know, I think that the big thing with the steroids is you look at Mike Schmidt and Dale Murphy in the early 80s would hit 35 or 38 or occasionally 40 home runs, but they would hit another 30 balls right to the base of the wall and they would deepen on the warning track and the outfitter would go back there and catch it right at the wall. <coughs> well, skip forward eight or ten years and Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire, those fly balls that they hit that would have been warning track outs went on over the fence another ten or fifteen feet. I think that was the biggest difference is those balls they didn't quite get all of they still were able to get counted as home runs. And then the ones that they really ripped at Mike Schmidt or Murphy ripped would go 450 feet or, you know, when they caught it dead square. And then those guys would hit them 480 with the help of the steroid. But it was just that little bit more uh, that, you know, turned fly outs to the war- deep on the warning track into uh, home runs is what happened for the steroid. And, there's no doubt. I mean, if Willie Mays, if the Giants hadn't have gone to uh, San Francisco and played at Candlestick Park, which was always, you know, a, a brutal place to try to hit home runs, or if, if Aaron had a, been on the Giants and went to uh, Candlestick, he probably wouldn't have hit them. You know, probably wouldn't have hit that many. But everything – Happens for a reason, and I'm sure glad the Braves came to Atlanta when they did, and I'm sure glad Henry Aaron is the holder of the title home run king. He was a gentleman and a, a wonderful human being all of his life, and uh, he, he will be sorely missed. A few more minutes here with uh, Peter Bragan Jr., the former owner of the Jacksonville Suns, for so many years here in Jacksonville and remembering the great Hank Aaron who passed on Friday. You know, one of the things that you mentioned that I that I said actually on Friday too, uh, Pedro, was consistent greatness. That's what I remember. I, I mean, I wasn't alive when Hank Aaron was making his run, of course, but I just remember looking back at those numbers and just seeing the the consistent numbers that he had, you know, you know, he, he never hit more than 47 home runs in his career, and yet for so many years he was the home run king. Well, and he hit 44, his number, on about four or five of those seasons. He was so consistent from the, uh, you know, from the mid-50s uh, into the early 70s, he hit 30-something or, or 40-something home runs almost every year. I think he had a... Uh, he was very fortunate to avoid injury. You know, he never slid in the second base and broke an ankle. Or, I mean, he did that very first year in 54. But he never did, uh, for all those years, have any major injuries where he would miss a long stretch of games. And he was just so consistently hitting that ball hard. Those, you know, those, hitters, those pitchers uh, dreaded seeing him come up there. And I think, too, he benefited 
from having Eddie Matthews hitting behind him. You know, Aaron and Matthews is the most home runs as a teammates of anybody, more than Ruth and Gary. And he also had uh, young Joe Torrey in that lineup and Rico Cardi hit in that lineup and uh, uh, Frank Thomas. He had some uh, – they had some pretty good hitters, those, those late 50s Braves teams, early 60s Braves teams. So, and, and even though he was so consistent and so strong, the pitchers, maybe, you know, to their detriment, didn't fear him as much as, say, pitchers feared Mickey Mantle or pitchers feared Willie Mays. But, uh, you know, they knew – I got to throw this guy because I got Matthews up behind him, and he's he's hit me several times. Or I got Tory up behind him, and he's he's a tough out for me. So I think maybe Aaron got more pitches to hit than he, you know it could have had a, a other situations. You know, a different type of lineup. Where I mean, uh, a lot of years. You have a team where you have one big hitter and they, the pitcher just walking, you know, pitch around him. Barry Bonds, those last years in uh, Frisco, there wasn't much else in the lineup. So he got a ton of base on balls. And, uh, but, but Hank did benefit from having some other pitchers in that lineup. But his, his uh, ability to wait on that pitch and bust it so late with him, Quick wrist, some strong forearms. His swing was a was a thing of beauty. I remember there was a quote I, I read one time that somebody asked Hank Aaron about if he had, you know, a ticket to see one player, you know, ever in baseball history. He said, "Well, I wouldn't pick myself because I was never the flashiest guy. You know, I wouldn't start fights. I wouldn't charge the mound. I wouldn't reach into the stands and bring back a home run. But uh, if you had to pick of all the players that you ever saw one ticket to to see a player uh, play ball, who would it be? Well, I, you know, I guess I'd say I'd like to see uh, Detroit play the Yankees in nineteen twenty five and see Cobb and Ruth on the field at the same time, Andrew. Yeah, that's but a good we one. Can't, we can't go back in history. You know, I had an uncle that uh, went to New York and saw Ruth play and saw Cobb play and saw a bunch of those. He used to give me stories and when I was real little talk about him and he you know, he was it was great. He said Ruth was two times as big as anybody else on the field. It looked awesome. He said it was unreal to see Ruth. He was just so big in his body. And then uh, he had such a lift swing through there, the way he turned his hips. and You know, where Aaron gets all his power, a lot of it from those arms and wrists, Ruth, it was really all from his lower body legs. He had that real stylish, uh, sweet hip turn when he came through with it. And uh, so, yeah, something back. Way back there would be that, you know, before I ever was alive would be something to, to see Cobb and then see Cobb steal a base and then stomp on the shortstop's foot after he stood up or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mean as heck, mean as heck and tough. But, uh, yeah, but Aaron, I got to see Aaron quite a few times there in Atlanta that, that summer of 66 and 67. So, uh, I don't regret, you know, I have good memories of seeing him hit that ball and hit home runs too, but uh, 
Yeah, never got a chance to see Ruth hit one. That would have been something. Uh, final thing, what will you remember most about Henry Aaron? Just the uh, the the way he showed such class and graciousness. Who never uh, tooted his own horn. He never uh, made any uh, waves or any you know uh, controversial. He just went out there and did his job to the best of his ability and better than anybody else ever the way he hit the baseball. Hank Aaron hitting that baseball is uh, what I'll always remember most. Uh, The great Peter Bragan Jr. remembering the great Hank Aaron who we lost on Friday. Uh, Pedro, this was fun stuff. I could talk baseball with you all day. I know you got stuff to do uh, today, but I really appreciate a few minutes of your time. All right, Andrew. Thank you. It's great being with you, and uh, keep up the good work. And, yeah, I'll get back on there. We get closer to the season here. We can talk about what they're uh, what they're going to do this year. You know, I understand that they're pushing uh, – the minor league spring training back till after the big leaguers take spring training. So that's going to make the uh, minor leaguers season opener back up a good bit and shorten their season. It's, it's kind of wacky. It's another part of the COVID, uh, COVID stuff, but uh, I hate that. But I, I do, uh, I do want to try to go to spring training sometime in March and see a few games in the hot sun. My thanks to Peter Bragan Jr. for joining us today to remember the life and career of the great Henry Aaron, who passed away on Friday.